Welcome to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank that brings you market views and insights on the go. Hello everyone, my name is Manpreet and welcome to Through the Noise. Now, it's been an eventful week in the macro and policy world, uh, one where we may see reverberations of of some of the decisions and data uh, continue for some time ahead. Now, specifically, we had the Fed and ECB raise policy rates. um, And in the US in particular, we did not see any agreement uh, from the Fed with market expectations that they might start cutting before the year is out. Separately, we had another regional US bank failing, which of course raised questions about how confidence is ultimately restored. And we kicked off another episode of the U.S. debt ceiling debate, uh, with much debate, of course, about when exactly the U.S. Treasury runs out of money. Now, how does an investor respond to all of this? To discuss this topic and more, uh, we have with us Rajat Bhattacharya, who's a senior investment strategist at the CIO office. So welcome, Rajat. Thanks for joining us in what's been a a, a pretty eventful week. A lot of risks out there to talk about. But in the latest report, you mentioned that you believe markets are underpricing uh, risks, especially in the context of what we discussed. Can you highlight uh, what are some of the risks you're seeing in financial markets today? Sure, Manpreet. So one of the things when we talk about uh, risk is is the S&P 500 volatility index or VIX. It's one of the most tracked indicators for risk. It had fallen last week to a one and a half year low, just below 15, before rebounding this week to around 20. To us, these levels suggest markets are underpricing risk. Now, I'll lay out three events and data points over the past week, which have brought these risks back to the fore. First is the failure of First Republic Bank, which is the third largest, you know, third large U.S regional lender to go bust in the past three months. It reminded investors of the damage done to smaller banks from the surge in interest rates in the past year. U.S. small lenders are particularly vulnerable from the exposure to commercial real estate. They are likely to curb lending further, likely causing a credit crunch later this year. The Fed's quarterly senior loan officer survey on 8th May is likely to show further tightening of bank lending standards and conditions adding to the ongoing cyclical tackling that that is going on in in the industry, slowing economic growth further. Now, the second thing is the Fed's pushback against expectations of rate cuts this year, while the job market remains tight and inflation elevated. Now, whether the Fed can cut rates early as growth slows matters a lot to investors. If the Fed is hamstrung by inflation remaining well above target and still rising wage pressures, it's unlikely to cut rates as early as the market is expecting. And the market is expecting rate cuts as soon as July or August. This week's uh, data showed that two of the broadest and most reliable measures of U.S. wage costs, uh, by that I mean the employment cost index and the unit labor cost, both accelerated, I repeat, accelerated in the first quarter of this year, amid a decline in productivity. And finally, U.S. Treasury Secretary Yellen's warning that the government could exhaust all emergency measures and run out of cash as early as 1st June is the other risk. We believe the the risk of a temporary debt default is non-negligible, even if it means delaying repayment on some short-term bills by a few days while the two parties negotiate. US politics, as we know, has become more polarized over the past decade, making negotiations harder compared with previous debt ceiling 
episodes, uh, notably in 2011 and 2013. A small caucus amongst the Republicans in the Congress has an outsized hold over the party. They're insisting on sharp spending cuts as a prize for approving a deal. Thanks, Rajat. Um, I wanted to pick up on that last point you spoke about, the, uh, the U.S. debt ceiling, because that's becoming quite quite topical. Specifically for the economy and financial markets, what, what are some of the risks you see of, of the debate you just described? Yes, the biggest concern there would be any sharp spending cuts as part of emergency measures adopted by the government to avoid a default or as part of a long-term deal with the Republicans. It is still likely the two sides will cobble together a last-minute deal to lift the debt ceiling for now, as we've seen you know, many, this play out many times before, only for the issue to come back next year, which is, as you know, the big election year uh, for, which, for, the, for the presidential elections. Then there is the effect on markets if a deal is struck. The Treasury will likely need to boost borrowing to replenish its reserves once the debt ceiling is raised, draining market liquidity. In this event, the Fed is likely to halt its quantitative tightening program earlier than planned. And we know it was planning to end that program around the end of this year. And that, if it ends that tightening program early, it would provide some relief to markets, though this may not be enough to trigger uh, any interest rate cuts by the Fed. Okay, thanks, Rajat. So now let's maybe bring this back together. Um, A lot of risks out there to think about, uh, potentially some upsides. But as an investor, uh, what do you see as as the implications? And how do you see an investor being best positioned going into the next few months? Sure, Papit. The the risks that I just highlighted against the backdrop of already slowing U.S. economic growth clearly calls for defensive positioning in markets, at least until the Fed capitulates and cuts interest rates. Hence, we reiterate our defensive asset allocation, which we've been highlighting since the start of the year. This means being overweight developed market government bonds and gold, and have a regional preference for Asia and Japan. Now, why do I say Asia? Asia? Because Asian dollar bonds and Chinese stocks are particularly preferred in this environment, given China's positive data surprises and earnings and and the ongoing consumer recovery that we've been seeing. Besides that, Chinese stocks and bonds are attractively valued currently. Now, in terms of the history of US debt ceiling battles that we've seen in 2011 and 2013, they suggest that the following positioning for the near term is appropriate. Underweight stocks and one to three month bills, overweight long-term government bonds and gold, and then hedge through safe haven currencies such as the Swiss franc and the Japanese yen. In terms of US stocks, we think they are particularly vulnerable following the rally since March. The S&P 500 index has failed to break above the 4,200 resistance since August last year, and that's a long time. It's uh, it's done uh, three attempts uh, to break that level and it hasn't been able to succeed. It hasn't succeeded yet. However, some positioning indicators suggest investors are defensively positioned, which could limit significant downside in this index. At the end of March, we also downgraded U.S. financials to underweight. We see further scope to reduce exposure to the sector, given the rising risk of a recession, which will lead to loan losses for the banks. All right. Um, before we end today's podcast, though, I wanted to spend a, a 
a couple of minutes on Chinese equities. So as, as you noted, that's a preferred area. But interestingly enough, despite all the risks we discussed, year to date, uh, US equities have outperformed Chinese equities. Uh, do you expect that to reverse anytime soon? Yes, we do, actually. Uh, so uh, we uh, why? Because we believe U.S. equities have uh, already priced in much of the good news from the uh, from earnings. Q1 earnings for sure has uh, in the U.S. have been beating expectations. However, on the macro front, the Fed, as I said, did not agree with the market pricing of rate cuts in second half of this year. And then U.S. equities are likely to end as a result and enter the stage of, you know, good news is good and bad news is bad, uh, which is different from uh, the, the, what we've seen in the recent past, where good news was seen as bad news and bad news was seen as good news. Now, in that environment, economic data is likely to dictate its further di- direction. Potential U.S. credit tightening due to stress in the regional banks, as well as the potential impact from the U.S. government hitting the debt ceiling, uh, as we mentioned, are the main risks there. All these are likely to prompt rotation into Chinese equities. In contrast to the US, Chinese economic data has been surprising positively, unlike the US where positive surprises are fading. Also, Chinese company earnings have been healthy, whereas in the US, we've seen uh, uh, earnings contracting for the second straight quarter. In terms of the technicals, the S&P 500 index has hit a triple top this year, as I mentioned, just below 4,200, which we believe is now a major level of resistance. So we, it could correct, that the index could correct to 3,951 and then on to 3,856 support levels. On the other hand, the Hansing index uh, for China or Hong Kong stocks uh, has been strong, so has seen strong support in the 19,000 to 19,500 zone, increasing the potential to challenge the next resistance level of around 20865 All right. Thank you, Rajat. I think that's all we have time for today. So we'll bring the discussion to an end. But just to summarize, I mean, there are three things at least I took away from today's discussion. The first, of course, uh, to stay relatively defensive from an overall positioning perspective, uh, given that we, we believe markets are underpricing risk. And that, of course, basically meaning overweight, high-quality government uh, bonds and gold versus underweight equities and and U.S. the financial sector, particularly within that. Second, of course, the you know that, that when we look at past U.S. debt ceiling debates, that also seems to support you know that that relatively defensive positioning. And finally, of course, Asia ex Japan equities and China win that within that potentially being a more positive outlier. So thank you, Rajat, for joining us in today's discussion. And thank you, listeners, of course. Uh, We hope you found today's podcast useful and, and insightful. And we look forward to speaking with you again next week. Thank you for listening to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank. For more details on the latest market insights, subscribe to Standard Chartered Money Insights. 